every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello everyone, AVL here with a bit of a breaking news update. Now we recorded the full episode of the podcast this morning, but since then there's a bit of fairly sensational news that has come to light. Now it appears that Walkinshaw and Andretti United will become a Ford team as of the 2023 Supercars season. Rumours have been doing the rounds for about probably six weeks or so about, you know, that there was this fairly remarkable defection potentially on the table. We know that there's perhaps been a bit of tension between WAU and GM um, for some time. Uh, Those rumours intensified a little bit over the Perth weekend uh, and there was an announcement from Ford uh, about a... um, a big major supercars announcement that will come this Friday that is basically expected to be that Walkinshaw switch. So huge, huge news. We should have confirmation of it on Friday and we will unpack it all in next week's episode of the podcast. Um, yeah, enjoy this week's episode and, and we'll get onto that big news next week. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The Supercar Circus finally returned to Perth over the weekend. There were two wins for Shane Van Gisbergen and one for Will Davison, which was Davo's first race win since the 2016 Bathurst 1000. We'll hear from Davo and run through all the talking points from Wanneroo, and there was plenty of them later in this episode. In Super 2, Matt Payne and Tyler Everingham split the wins as Payne took over the series lead from Tickford driver Zach Best. The Boost Mobile Bathurst 1000 wildcard is back. Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway will race an Erebus Motorsport car at the Great Race this year. There is a full three-day testing program in place as well, which will kick off at Winton on June 7. The pair were supposed to race at Bathurst last year, but that plan was scuppered by the closed New Zealand border. There are significant doubts over whether the Auckland Super Sprint will take place this year. It seems the current challenges with freight being felt around the world have seen uh, the transport costs skyrocket, which has put the viability of the event in question. Mark Warren has been appointed the CEO of the newly reformed South Australian Motorsport Board. He previously held the role between 2010 and 2016. He will oversee the return of the Adelaide 500 and other events, such as the 2023 Bridgestone World Solar Challenge. There was tragedy at Target Tasmania last week with a fatal crash for driver Anthony Seymour. It was the fourth death in the last two editions of the famous rally and the sixth in total over the 30-year history of the event. The rest of the event was held as non-competitive stages and organisers have admitted that there is uncertainty over the future given the four deaths in two years. 
And Jack LeBrock will get an early look at Mount Panorama in a supercar this year. He will drive Warren Millett's VE Commodore in the combined sedan support races at the Bathurst 12-hour later this month. Joining me this week to discuss all that and much more is a teammate that I hope I never find myself trading 24th and 25th position with in qualifying, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? I'm very well, Andrew. I certainly hope that you had a better weekend out there at Wanneroo than those uh, Walkinshaw boys did. I think I did. I think I did. Uh, there was definitely some pretty glum faces in the Walkinshaw garage and down the uh, – it was a long walk. It was a long walk down to see uh, Nick Perkett and Chaz Mostert too many times on the grid before the races on the weekend. It was a fascinating weekend in person, really interesting results up and down the field, um, and as we've touched on, right down the field, and that's probably where we should – start. I mean, if we look back at Tasmania, you know, that was a bit of an off weekend for WAU, but holy moly, I mean, Perth was just a, a complete disaster. Not a single top 10 qualifying result, a back row lockout for race three. And like Chaz and Nick were, they were really just battling each other for 24th and 25th. They were improving and just trading those two last and second last places. It was quite remarkable to see, you know, I mean, a few weeks ago, these guys were winning races. You know, how crazy is that, Stefan? Yeah, it was it was genuinely amazing to see what happened to those guys on the weekend. When you think of the combined talent of the drivers and engineers in that place and the resources and what we know they're capable of, it's incredible to think that they could be that bad. And I guess it reminds us all how competitive the field is and how challenging it is to get the car to work at every track. If you look like um, they've had some real stinkers in Perth in the past, like um, the last time Supercars was there in 2019, their performance was so bad that the team issued a statement afterwards, uh, you know, declaring it unacceptable and basically apologising to fans and and sponsors. And I sort of like looked back at that stuff before we did the pod last week and didn't even mention it because I didn't feel like it had any relevance to uh, yeah. the the WAU that we've seen in 2022. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a dark weekend. What do you think actually was going wrong for those guys? Like we saw a few TV on boards where the thing seemed to have some pretty big understeer, but what was the, yeah, what did you pick up from the weekend? Yeah, I think that, you know, Nick Perkett actually made an interesting comment about the car after the first qualifying session saying it doesn't actually feel that bad, but, you know, you look at the dash and the time just isn't there. And that's that's always concerning because, you know, if you're slow and you kind of know why, even if you can't immediately rectify the issue, you're at least halfway there knowing what's wrong. If you don't necessarily know what's wrong, that's, that is that is a, a big problem. And there were others like Tim Slade, for example, who were in a similar boat all weekend, you know, slow without any real clear answers. But I think as the weekend went on for the Walkinshaw guys, it just became clear that there was that there was just no turn. And you're in big trouble at Wanneroo if you've got no turn. You know, you lose so much time in, in three critical right-handers that set up, um, you know, onto faster sections of track. Um, you're just going to be slow if you can't get the, the car turned in, particularly over at the bowl. Um, it's a good layout for racing. Wanneroo, you know, it's got that um, it's got that sweeping corner over the back down to a stop corner down the hill, but it's not necessarily like it's not a driver's circuit. It's not the sort of place where the driver can make a massive difference. Not like a street circuit where a bit of bravery can help and, and guys as talented as Chaz and Nick will naturally wind up ahead of someone just by being simply better racing car driver than the than the people they're competing against. But Wanneroo doesn't, you don't necessarily get that opportunity at Wanneroo. If the car's not doing it for you, there's not a lot you can do about it. I did try and get some insight from from the team at the end of the weekend about, you know, sort of more precisely what had gone wrong and, and what the cars were doing. Um, you know, again, it was sort of 
indication from drivers was it won't turn. Um, the team actually wants to get its debrief done before it says too much publicly about uh, what happened. So they sort of declined to comment at the moment until they can get back and spend this week going over data and trying to work out how they really went from the front of the field to the back of the field in the space of a couple of weeks. They're testing a winter next Tuesday with most of the other Victorian teams as well. So there's an opportunity to try and get some answers there. I mean, Stefan, like not just based on points lost on the weekend, but just that this massive dip in form is actually still possible for them. Can we really continue seeing Chaz as a title contender this year? It certainly doesn't seem like it. But to be fair, I mean, it does sort of look like a one-horse race, the championship, doesn't it? Like when you see what happened to yeah. DJR and the races at Albert Park, for example, they didn't look like champions there either. So, no. yeah, it's um, it's one of those things. I mean, Adam DeBore did give a TV interview during Sunday, I think, during the red flag um, that was quite interesting where he'd explained that they'd started the weekend quite close to their to their base setup, so they didn't yep. go there with something super funky. Um, and then they spent Saturday trying to work with that and all the usual tools to uh, address the balance issues they were having based on the driver feedback weren't working, so they had to get creative just to try to learn something. But, um, yeah, I, I guess now they've got to just not, not panic and not throw things out that have worked for them at other places. They've just got to uh, debrief it fully and, uh, and be better. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're right about the one horse race thing, unfortunately. I mean, just to fast forward a little bit in this in the press conference on Sunday evening, um, Shane was filthy at Mark Winterbottom still for blocking him in qualifying um, because I think he knows that he could have easily comfortably won all three races on the weekend if he'd started anywhere closer to the front and probably had a bit better start and first lap in that second race. So I think he sort of sees – he kind of sees, you know, where they're at and how they're sort of – they can pretty much win anything if they're anywhere near the front. Let's have a chat about the first race. Go back and talk about the night race. I mean, talk about predictable. Shane Van Gisbergen running long for a huge overcut to comfortably win the race. Um, we saw, you know, initially it was Anton Di Pasquale leading Cam Waters. Both those Mustangs looked looked pretty quick. Shane was on the radio saying, hey, I'm, I'm not saving. I can't keep up with them, which there's a very good chance was absolutely not the case at all because we know he likes to play some games over the radio. Um, what was your take on those early stops for Cam Waters and Anton Di Pasquale, Stefan? Did, they, did those teams get it wrong by pitting that early? It was certainly a really enjoyable race to watch, I thought. You know, three yeah. top teams, three great drivers duking it out and under lights, like there's just something about it, isn't there? Even though we've mm. done quite a few of these um, over the last couple of years, yeah, it's actually cool. the light the light levels not being quite as consistent and good, I, I actually like um, so much better. Adds adds yep. to the spectacle. But in terms of the strategy, yeah, I mean, obviously the the two Ford guys ended up racing each other to pit lane basically when uh, Tickford pulled the trigger on Cam. Uh, around lap 17, um, Ludo Lacroix decided to cover it and bring Anton in the next lap, which, yeah, in hindsight, you can run it backwards and say they should have raced Shane instead of instead of racing Cam. But, man, it's, it's tough because then Shane was close enough and he can sort of control what speed he's going. This is, this is the thing with him that he can just decide what pace he's doing and what deg he wants to have. Um, and he could have easily ended up undercutting Anton and then, you know, the shell car comes out third. So it's easy to criticise that strategy called by Ludo in hindsight. But, yeah, you sort of got to race the race you're in. The bit that was probably more disappointing for me was 
yes, Anton didn't have the tyre that Shane did in the end, but the defence wasn't really there at all and he ended up running wide there at turn one, which um, let Shane through. And it kind of just felt like, yeah, it was all a little bit too easy on the way through. Yeah, it was, and it was a typical Shane pass to just see that gap open and go, I'm going there right now. There's no point wasting any time. I understand Tickford probably rolling the dice on pitting waters early there when he was sort of – he looked like he, he was probably a bit quicker than Anton but didn't have anywhere to go. I just feel like following suit with Deeper Squally was – I feel like it was a mistake. Like Anton said after the race he had to pit once waters pitted, but I don't necessarily agree given the bloke who won the race didn't pit and ran so much longer. I guess the concern, as you say, was that, you know, Deeper Squally was going to end up behind waters and potentially behind Shane um, and not get those places back. And I think that's the the strategic freedom that Triple Eight has with Shane Van Gisbergen. You talk about the fact he can dictate his pace even when he's sitting in third place, but the other strategic freedom that they have with that guy is that the team can have the confidence to run long, know he'll end up third or fourth on the road or whatever, but have the confidence that he'll execute the passes needed to win the race. And not all teams seem to have that confidence in their drivers. They will cover someone because they're worried that if they end up behind them, they're not going to get back in front of them. And it's just not a concern that Triple Eight seems to have with Shane. They're happy to run that overcut because they know he will get the pass done. And that is a massive advantage when it comes to picking strategy and having that freedom. Um, race two on Sunday was a pretty wild one, Steph. And let's start off with that uh, with that wild crash for Scott Pye after making contact with Jack LeBrock at the end of the first lap there. I was kind of surprised to hear some debate on the commentary about who was at fold and and, and Mark Scave seeming to argue that, that Jack turned left and tips got into the wall. That wasn't necessarily my take. What was your take on it? Maybe that triggered some memories for Mark of, uh, of Russell Engle turning him <laughs> into the fence a few years back at uh, Eastern Creek. But, yeah, the, the Jack and Scott one, it's it's one of those ones where it's easy to judge the incident based on the outcome. Like yeah. no one likes seeing a car in the wall like that. So you feel for, for Scott Pye and, and all the guys at Team 18 that have got to go and repair that car. But it is then easy to miss the reality that Scott Pye was actually the aggressor in that situation. Like he's made the big move to block. Yeah. And Jackie's owed the racing room if there's overlap. Yep. So ultimately, yeah, there was overlap and Scott went in the fence big time. Uh, But if you take out the emotion of the crash, I think it's quite clear um, what the actions were. So, yeah, it's it's not new either, is it? Like um, particularly that bit of racetrack um, sort of triggers that sort of thing. And we saw exactly the same incident in 2019 in the night race with Rick Kelly and Shane Van Gisbergen Mm -hmm. where Rick Rick moved and blocked and he got spun out. Um, And the contact was like in the exact same point of the car, but the difference was it was on a restart. It was slightly earlier on the straight. The speeds were a bit lower and Rick's ended up having a massive catch He's gone through the grass but didn't get in the wall. And Rick accepted fault, yep, didn't realise there was overlap and the world moved on pretty quickly. It wasn't really a big deal, but, yeah, clearly because there was a car hurt out of this that um, it kind of makes you go, oh, should Jack have backed out of it? But ultimately he didn't really have that responsibility, I don't think. No, I, I agree. I think I think it was it was on Scott that one. There was he misjudged the overlap. It was simple as that. When he felt the contact, you know, he should have moved back to the left and just you know and just conceded the fact that he was going to lose that position. Like like you say, Jack could have lifted, but it's not really his job. And I'm 
I'm reasonably sure that if the roles are reversed, I don't think I see Scott lifting in that situation either. And fair enough. I think he keeps his boot in it too. So, And I think pretty much anyone in the field would. I think if you're expecting someone that you're trying to drive across the front of to lift to avoid wrecking you, that's an ambitious expectation, I think. You're very unlikely um, to come out in front on that one. So, um, yeah, obviously a lot of emotion. I was probably surprised. I I would have thought that at some point Scott would look at a replay and go – oh, yeah, look, I, I think I got that one wrong. But he was kind of doubling down on – he was on Instagram talking about it and back on the TV later that night doubling down on the fact that, hey, this guy just wrecked me for absolutely no reason, which, um, which I yeah, I don't necessarily understand. But like you say, when you've got a car that's busted, there's a lot of emotion in it. Um, I think no further action was probably the right call because there's not much point giving a penalty to a bloke whose car is um, being torn up that badly. There's a bit of a rush to get that car fixed for next Tuesday's test now. There was initially a plan to actually fly another truck driver west somewhere to meet the truck as it headed east so that they could go two up to get the transporter back to Melbourne faster. Um, They ended up calling that off because they felt they could get back by Wednesday anyway. The car will go to WAU to get straightened on the chassis jig there on Friday and then they're going to try and – try and get it fixed for the test. They haven't given up on the car running there, but pretty big jobs to get that done for uh, for next Tuesday. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars. Unforgettable. Next on our menu menu of uh, heated run-ins in the early Sunday race is Cam Waters versus Will Davison. Um, this one is a lot less clear-cut in my view. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. Should Cam have been able to keep the lead, Stefan, or did Davo deserve to get through? think you're right that it's not clear cut because to be honest my initial read on it was that cam was hard done by i think it's just the the optics of having two blokes race hard one come out in front and then the officials intervene and you know the order you see at the checkered flag is not not then the race order it just feels a bit wrong but um when you actually look at it closer i think davo deserved the position it was a great dive bomb he was alongside and under control at the apex. You know, Cam had been compromised under brakes because he was on an outlap with two greens, so he probably couldn't brake it quite as hard as, as Will could. Um, but then Cam, as you can see, he's cleared the brake and decided to run off the track. Yeah. And he drove it so far around the back of the curb that it was arguably too blatant. Like if he had it a bit tighter and you can see Will goes to the outside curb, you can maybe have more of an argument. But the way he he took that really wide line, it was just always going to cause a problem. And, you know, that one of the interesting parts was that the penalty was initially tabled as an unsafe re-entry. Mm-hmm. But then in the stewards report, it was gaining a lasting advantage upon re-entering. So for the latter, which is which a, is the right which is the right one? Yeah, for sure. And for the latter, there's a mechanism there in the rules that the race director can offer um, in that situation. Cam the opportunity to give the advantage back. Uh, probably, if all that had played out um, and it was just a repositioning, it would have felt more fair. But yeah, you, you, I really felt for Cam because he didn't even get on the podium in the end. Like that, uh, it felt like the. Um, the way it ended up working that the penalty didn't fit the crime, even though Will 
was deserving of the position. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. I don't think Cam had any real intention of trying to get around the corner. Once Davo got up the inside of him, he said he was doored. It looked a lot more like he tried to get into the apex and found a DJR Ford park there. From that point on, you know, he had a pretty clear plan to go um, as wide as he could. You know, I know Davo ended up hard on the exit curb and that was their argument. He had no room, but – he wasn't forcing Cam wide. Waters was so much higher on the apron, you know. So I think Davo only used that road because it was there to be used. There wasn't a car there, so why wouldn't you float out to the curb? I think if, if Cam had been on the, you know, just directly to the left of that curb looking from the back, you know, side by side with Davo, I'd have a bit more sympathy for him being run wide, but he wasn't run wide. He ran wide to try and retain the lead. I, I totally agree that the penalty wasn't right. They didn't deserve to lose three spots out of it, you know, like it's – he he deserved to be behind um, behind Will. That's it, you know. And both SVG and James Courtney said post race that the punishment didn't fit the crime. Exactly what you're saying it should have been a redress. And uh, you know, I, I think that's a hundred percent right. That would have been just a so much nicer, cleaner way to go about it. Because again, Waters didn't deserve to be dropped to fourth. Um, he should have been second and still able to fight for the win. You know, he should have been able to continue that fight. Um, and it also would have given. Davo a chance to actually cross the line in first place to break his six-year wins drought, you know, like which I think would have been a much nicer thing for him, remembering that the last time he won a race, he actually followed someone across the line and won it um, on a time penalty as well. So I think it would have been nice for him to actually go <laughs> and just get that checkered flag um, properly. But it was, a, it was a really good weekend for Davo. He capped off, you know, a solid Sunday with second – in the last race, we actually saw DJR push Triple Eight into a, an undercut with Shane, which is quite rare. We don't see that that often, and it didn't actually work, which surprised me um, as well because uh, I thought Shane was going to grab the lead there, but he didn't. His pace is just so immense, though, and he was always you kind of knew he was going to get through. I was fascinated by the psychology of that second stint, Stefan, because there was, you know, as as Shane explained later, he was purposely trying to stay just under a second in front of Davo to cook Davo's tires. You know, he wasn't trying to pull away from him. He was just hanging there. Um, and then the turn of pace when he realized he actually had to go and pass James Courtney because he thought James Courtney still had to pit. And when he worked out that he actually had to go past the bloke, the way he just turned the tap on and got it done in about a lap and a half was just remarkable. What did you make of all that? Yeah, Shane's so good at uh, at reading the races and, you know, as you say there, like trying to cook Davo's tyres or even I feel like in the first laps of all the races, no matter where Shane was in the field, he was trying to stay uh, plus one second to the car in front to not hurt his own in the early early laps. But um, he nearly got caught out by uh, by his smarts with the whole thing with, with James Courtney there that they hadn't clearly communicated that, um, that James was actually leading the race and didn't need a pit. So um, that was quite funny and it certainly explained why uh, James was able to hang on for as long as he could because it didn't make sense that Shane wasn't catching him. Oh, for sure, um, yeah. And it just just for a tiny moment, it, it felt like we could see two like wind droughts that had gone back to 2016 <laughs> broken uh, in a row there with James obviously not having one in a long time. But, uh, yeah, regardless of all that, I reckon it was, it was really cool to see James Courtney finish second in that race. Um, he's been driving really well this year um, and I think he still adds a fair bit to the show. Um, like it could, it could be quite important for him as well. I know they announced he's, he's on a multi-year deal at Tickford, but you know Lee Holdsworth had one of those too, didn't he? So yeah. without a full-time sponsor on that car, you do kind of worry, and you see like Zach Best there in the wings, um, pretty much ready to go. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's cool to see James still showing that he's got the speed and he still deserves to be there. Yeah, there were pretty some pretty happy faces down at Tickford on Sunday evening given the fact that that was a new sponsor on the car and there was lots of the sponsor representatives there and they were having a bit of a shindig in the paddock after the race and all looked pretty happy with that podium. So that was definitely good news. Uh, given the drought-breaking win for Davo and the Cam Waters incident and all the stuff that went on um, for him over the weekend, I, uh, I grabbed him for a chat on Sunday evening and here's what Davo had to say. Um, yeah, look, it must be nice to get the monkey off the back and get that win that you've been waiting for for quite a number of years now. It must be a good feeling. It, it's an awesome feeling. Ultimately, um, you know, when it all boils down, winning is what what, what it's all about. Yeah. And uh, winning at the top level at this time is certainly um, something that I'll – any win I have now, I'll, yeah. I'll savour because mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's – been a crazy 20 years if you like even yeah. longer as a kid winning go-karts and yeah i've won some amazing races in my career but uh yeah all of a sudden you realize that you know over the years in small teams and they're not that easy to come by and yeah. i appreciate you know um appreciate everything you know being still driving and living the dream so yeah. uh yeah great feeling um ultimately yeah that's all i can say simplifying it i'm so focused on always just my job and doing yeah. that well some wins don't go your way. I don't get bogged down too much in it. Yeah. But the longer it's dragged on, um, which is good because we're people asking because we're challenging. We're yeah. There. It just it gets annoying. So um, it's, yeah, it's good to just get that sensation today. Um, and uh, as a you know a fan of the sport, I suppose get the statistic. You know, yeah. you just it's nice to just uh, turn that page and you know, just focus on hopefully many more. So Bathurst 2016, you had to follow someone across the line yeah. that had a penalty. Today, you had to yeah. do it again. You must be looking forward to one where you can actually yeah. just blast uh, it, it, across. It did cross my mind. Um, yeah, I was like, wow, that's ironic. Yeah. Um, this one, I felt, was different. But sure. it was still, yeah, it was annoying. I didn't yeah. like that. Yeah. It took took a bit of the, the flavour off, but uh, not not in terms of it was different to Bathurst. Yeah. I'd actually pulled a, a move, a legitimate yeah, move. Yeah, for sure. And I was very kind. I know what the rules are and I... It was, yeah. So I knew I had the move and I knew I had the pace in front to drive off in the yeah. distance. But you spend any time in the dirty air here, it really is damaging. So yeah. um, that was my one shot. I took it and was happy with that. So that's what's given me comfort to know that we really deserve that win regardless. It was a brilliant move. And, you know, Shane and, and, and James Courtney talked about it in the press conference here before. Do you think they sort of indicated they felt that you know, they didn't say there should have been a penalty, but that maybe the five-second time penalty was the wrong penalty as opposed to asking him just to slot in behind you. I mean, that might have worked better for you if they'd kind of just, if race control had said, hey, can we just shut maybe, behind Maybe, yeah, him? maybe, yeah. But, yeah, I'll, st- I'll stay out of that. But, yeah, you're right. It probably was a very straightforward yeah. readdress scenario. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'll leave that to the, the powers to be. But, yeah, you're right for something reasonably... Not minor, but yeah, yeah it wasn't his corner. Yeah. So yeah, a readdress probably would be more yeah. reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you said before that you don't feel like you're any more aggressive this year, but I mean, even this weekend, you were really, you know, when you were racing Shane that last race, you were having a good go. Is that the way, are you starting to think that Shane's so aggressive? We, we've got to well, race aggressive. The whole field's, the whole field's more aggressive than ever. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No one's taken an inch and yeah. if you, yeah, it's but I still pride myself on the way I've always driven. Yeah. I've always been aggressive when I need to, and yeah. at times, you know, I, I, you know, try and look after the car and and not be an idiot. Yeah, there's just some lunatics stuff going That's on there, which I'll never bring myself to that yeah. level. But yeah. ultimately, there's a lot of risk versus reward in racing yeah. situations now, yeah. and um, everyone's aggression levels are going up. Everyone's yeah. closer. It's harder to yeah. pass. There's a lot of 
pretty desperate stuff going on, so I never want to race that way. It's not yeah. how I roll, but certainly, yeah, you, if you get one shot, you've got to try and grab it. So, um, yeah, certainly not necessarily mindfully being more aggressive. It's just the whole level of the sport and yeah. the, the field at the moment is at an all-time sort of high from all my way. experience in the, yeah. the field. It sometimes might look boring or straightforward, but it's not. It's mm. just really, really tough out there and everyone's doing a good job now we know like race drivers don't wash time off in the shower but you know this year you do seem to have um, uh, got a leg up on Anton particularly over a lap and that sort of stuff what sort of change this year I don't don't think it's a leg up no I think you know he's amazing over a lap we're working well together Um, and yeah I think we've just unlocked a couple little things which naturally happens I never lost faith in myself at all yeah. you know I'd sat out for a year and then last year I had a couple of poles in Darwin probably yeah. six or seven other front rows yeah um, and we've just you know unlocking a few things in the car for me and uh, um, yeah we're both on yeah I think yeah both have quite a few poles this year so we're, yeah. we're working well together it's, it's a really good um, environment in our team and I are getting on really well pushing each other obviously yeah. and um, it's good I'm a big big fan of him um, he's a good young fella and I think he's got respect for me as yeah. well so it's really healthy for the team now and yeah. uh, I think he knows yeah I've still got plenty of pace in me but uh, we're working well together so it's good I'm loving that feeling again yeah. you know years ago yeah. I won the pole award in 2012 and yeah he often jokes about the trading post pole machine. He called it when he was a young fella, but yeah, uh, yeah it's good to get. I always believe with the right the right scenario, I'm, I can be really good in qualifying. So yeah. it's 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 such a cool feeling to be able to unlock that yeah. speed again and, and have such a fast car. It's yeah, it's the ultimate. You know, going flat out over a lap. I yeah. mean, we want to win the races, but it's, it's cool to that's have the, that. That's the real fun. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. There's there's there was been a bit of talk externally about your future already this year. You're really showing everyone that you can still run at the top of the tree here. Do you feel like you've got a few good years left in you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I'm driving as good and I've only got more to come yeah. um, this year because I've still got the hunger as, as a rookie coming in. That's, yeah. that's the main thing. Still feel fit and, and fresh and my motivation and my want to be there is as high as ever, my yeah. nerves. And that, that's the main thing. Yeah. So definitely, definitely I'm, I'm super keen to, to continue, continue driving for a few more years. And, yeah. um, but ultimately just, yeah, just focusing on the driving and enjoying every moment, and yeah. uh, that'll take care of itself. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not going anywhere. Stefan, let's have a quick chat about this New Zealand noise. It seems the doubt over the event is quite real. It appears the air freight costs have just gone absolutely crazy, um, you know, because of the challenges with shipping and freighting and all that stuff being felt all around the world. The turnaround to try and sea freight um, to New Zealand and back, particularly with ports clogged up all over the place and stuff sitting on wharfs everywhere around the world as well, is pretty tight, pretty risky. Um, The round after Auckland is Bathurst, so you can't have the cars stuck on a wharf instead of at Mount Panorama a few weeks later. Um, It's... So it's a bit of a tricky one. Opinion in the paddock seems to be split between it's absolutely not happening and it better happen because we need to be racing there because we've got partners and we've got Kiwi drivers and all that sort of stuff. I reckon about the end of May is the deadline to make the call just because of the planning and things like tyre product, production and all of that. Supercar says it is still working on the option, so not all hope is lost, but the ground is certainly shaky. Uh, what are you hearing about all this, Stefan? And, and, and if it doesn't happen, how damaging is it for the sport, with, for a sport with such strong tyres, to New Zealand to not be able to get there having missed the last two years. Yeah, it does appear to be a bit of a standoff about freight costs and, and who pays and the noise around it's pretty negative, but surely supercars has to find a way 
like to clear the the COVID hurdles that have stopped uh, supercars going over there in the last two years, uh, but then not go due to this, that'd be a massive slap in the face to to all the supporters of supercars in New Zealand, of which there are many. I think they would rightly uh, kick up a pretty big backlash if uh, if this doesn't happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that we um, we need to touch on the tragedy at Target Tasmania as well, Steph. And firstly, condolences for all concerned. It's just impossibly sad news. Um, it's also, you know, it's, it's quite incredible that this was the 30th running of the event and there's been six deaths in total and four of them have happened in the last two years, you know, in such rapid fire. Day after, you know, three on consecutive, two consecutive days last year and then one on the second day of the event. This year, it's certainly brought the future of the event into pretty sharp focus. Both Motorsport Australia and Targa Australia have publicly recognised that, you know, there is some uncertainty now given what's gone on in the last couple of years. Stefan, we know motorsport is dangerous. It's part of the allure. It's part of the, you know, the, the, the legend of, of the sport that there is danger attached to it. But has this event reached a point where it's too dangerous? Yeah, that's a very tough one and as it as has been said they need to go through the process of the review um, of what happened last week and before they uh before they go too much further but certainly the risks of competing in tarmac rallying have long been higher than circuit racing just due to the nature of of it and they've put a lot of effort into improving the safety but um yeah there's still going to be considerable risk no matter what they do so i mean is it too dangerous for people to want to do it doesn't seem the case but is it too is the risk too high for authorities to to tolerate it and want to put an event on like target tasmania i think that's the big question now it's hard to see it continuing to go forward as it is but at the same time surely it's not the end of end of tarmac rallying completely yeah, no, and I think you know it's important to touch on the point that it's it's so much more dangerous than gravel rallying as well, just because the speeds are so much higher. Even though they've brought in some some terminal speed limits and some average speed limits off the back of the fatalities last year, um, it's still you know it is just a it is just a dangerous discipline of 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 motorsport. It's it's that simple. You know, I could see it having a future as a touring event. You know, it would be very sad. Um, you know, for, for the event to lose its competitive status because it is a famous event and it's a great event. But, you know, I, I guess I, I think, you know, given they've been through the process of an investigatory tribunal and implemented all these changes and, and they've still had a fatality, it just makes it so tough to come back from. And I hope I'm wrong on that one. But I guess, you know, as you touched on, a lot will hinge on the findings from the investigation to this crash. The details have been really limited so far. Um, so, you know, if it turns out it was nothing to do with, the competitive nature of the event, you know, there, there might be a way forward, but, you know, I think it's going to be pretty tough. And when you've got the organisers admitting that, you know, that, yeah, okay, we really need to take a good look at this now, then that's not necessarily a, a great sign. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Uh, Mercedes driver Lucas Auer and Audi driver Nico Muller split the DTM wins at Portimao over the weekend. Pato Award won the fourth round of the IndyCar season at Barber Motorsports Park after holding off Alex Palou. Will Power finished fourth ahead of Kiwis Scott Dixon and Scott McLaughlin. McLaughlin is still second in the series, three points behind Palou. Uh, Peco Bagnaia fended off Fabio Quartararo to win the Spanish Grand Prix at Jerez. Alej Espagaro was third, while Marc Marquez got through 
Jack Miller late in the race to finish fourth. Uh, Remy Gardner lost his winglets early on and struggled to 20th place. In other MotoGP news, Suzuki has announced that it will close down its factory program at the end of the 2022 season. Formula One now and Volkswagen has all but confirmed it will enter Formula One in 2026 through its Porsche and Audi brands as separate entries, so pretty exciting news there. And Stoffel van Dorn passed Mitch Evans to win the Monaco E-Prix. Formula E also unveiled its Gen 3 cars in Monaco, uh, hopefully without leg-numbing seating positions. Um, although I have to say the styling is uh, interesting to, uh, to say the least. All right, let's take a look at the Castrol mailbag. We have a question this week from former legend, who is a who is a bit of a podcasting legend himself. If you like rugby league, you should listen to full credit to the boys. It's a very good podcast. Um, he asked, you know, should should supercars look at some circuits at um, following IndyCar's lead and basically having the timing loop for qualifying in a different position so that drivers don't necessarily need a full in or out lap? I guess the kind of example you could use would say at Bathurst, have qualifying laps starting and ending, you know, halfway down Conrod Strait somewhere. So when you finish a lap, you could dive straight into the pits. Uh, when you go out on the lap, you don't have to do a full lap, quite a full lap as you warm up. It saves time. You get some more laps in. It's an interesting um, idea. There are obviously some benefits for it. IndyCar do it mainly to just stop guys, you know, wobbling around on a cool down lap, getting back to the pits, getting in the way of guys on fast laps. I guess the issue that we've kind of got in supercars, like at particularly at super sprint events, is that the amount of laps you're doing in qualifying is limited to your tire set more than time. You have time to do more laps, you just don't have the tires to do it. So it probably would only make a difference at somewhere like Bathurst where you're not limited on tyres on qualifying. Is that a fair point, Stefan? What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the it's a good question and it sort of comes down to you'd, you'd think they'd have to put another timing line in in order to do this, so there's some cost involved. So is the benefit worth the cost? Your point, there's a good one about the limited tyres. I mean, from, um, from Wanneroo on the weekend – I think we needed more cars doing laps rather than less, if if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's there's the tire limit, and it's also worth pointing out that um, that the traffic issues are really people on on warm up laps, not on in laps, because it's easy to get out of the way on an in lap. But when you're warming your tires, yeah. going slow, trying to trying to get a gap, that's what causes all the drama. So it doesn't solve that. Um, so yeah, is it? Is it worth the cost for the benefit it brings? Probably not. Nah, I, I probably agree. I actually, you know, there was the the traffic in qualifying was a hot topic, particularly on Sunday morning, um, and particularly with what happened with Frosty blocking both the Triple Eight cars uh, when he was on his warm up lap and trying to get his lap going. I I don't mind any of that. It's all part of the fun. It's all part of the challenge. You know, it's part of the spectacle. I think that if they decide turn around and went back to like splitting the qualifying and stuff. I don't know why we try and take something that's kind of really interesting and causes, you know, like that, that second race was so much better because Shane was stuck back in the pack. I know he would definitely disagree with that and he was, like I say, filthy about it on Sunday night, but it just made it better. It made for a great race. We saw a different winner. You know, why you would want to take that little element of unpredictability out of it, I would never understand. I think it's it's a it's a fun it's fun when we go to these short circuits and you know traffic is going to be critical. Oh, I think in theory I agree, but no, I've got to say that there's nothing fun about um, seeing cars when one's doing 240k plunging down that hill and another's 
doing like 20 or 40 and they could swerve over at any moment. Like that is, it's hugely dangerous what happens there at Wanneroo. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. I argue that it still looks cool. It still looks cool when you got that big clothes. I get what you're saying, but I don't know. I think it's all part of the – it's just part of the challenge of those shorter circuits. Anyway, it's time for our Castrol Stars of the Week, and uh, I don't think you'll be giving yours <laughs> to Mark Winterbottom then. Um, Stefan, uh, I'm going to go all West Aussie all the time this week. It was my home race. I'm feeling very – Feeling a lot of love for my home state, uh, and I'm going to give the gong to, to Jake Kostecki. Uh, it was a solid weekend for Tickford, and he capitalised on that. A handy top 10 in Sunday's first race, and he was on for another top 10 in the final race until he was rudely assaulted by his cousin Brody at the last corner on the second last lap. He didn't seem too happy about it, and that's fairly understandable. It was definitely a bit of a rookie error from Brody that you don't see all that often from him. Uh, Stefan, who have you got as a star of the week this week? That was a good segue from uh, huge closing speeds at the bottom of the hill there at Wanneroo. Mm-hmm. That was you could see that coming from a mile away. But my yeah. uh, Castro Star of the Week this week is Matt Payne for his performance in the Dunlop series Ooh, on nice. the weekend. Two yep. poles, a win, and a second, and now leads the point standings. He obviously copped a fair bit of heat and sort of negative attention last year around uh, being denied a super license, so he couldn't step up to the main game. Some incidents in the couple of Super Two rounds he did, but. Um, He's in there putting it together right now, so kudos to him. Yep, absolutely. No, he did look very, very impressive uh, in Super 2, and you start to think this guy is probably going to go and win that title. So very good choice. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.